Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Match Point Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, as we continue our clay court swing, we'll check in on the action from Barcelona and Stuttgart. Ask who are the favorites with Roland Garros approaching. And we also have a special guest this week, someone you had a chance to speak with last year. Yeah, today's guest joined us roughly a year ago, exactly uh, right now, I believe, after making an unexpected appearance in Billie Jean King Cup play for Romania. In her first match, she had to face none other than world number one, Iga Sviantec. She's currently working very hard at the ITF level to continue to make progress on the court. Andrea Prisicario, welcome back to Matchpoint Canada. Hi, guys. Nice to see you here again. <laughs> great to have you back on the pod. Uh, we've been asked about you several times since you made your appearance last year, so I know some of our listeners are going to be very happy to have you back on. And uh, congrats on the success that you've been having this year. You won an ITF title recently in Italy, so things clearly seem to be clicking for you at the moment. What was that week like leading up to the title, and how happy are you with how your tennis game is at the moment? Well, it was a definitely great week for me, but behind that great week, uh, I've been through a very tough year, obviously, last year. And um, the, the beginning of this season was kind of different. I tried a different approach of how I view tennis exactly. So I switched the mental stuff uh, 100%. So I think that's that's how I managed to to do better from uh, from week to week, actually. So uh, to be honest with you, I, I literally just focused on the process I'm in right now. And I accepted that it will never it will never be finished, you know. So the way I see things right now, it's more different. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd love to get more on your perspective of sort of shifting that mental side of tennis. And we know mental is such a, uh, the mental aspect of the sport is so crucial to the game. What did you feel like you kind of had to change um, from previous years to to find more success for your career going forward? Uh, definitely was the people that um, surrounded me back in the day, let's say. I allowed too many people that uh, didn't that, that actually interfere with my life in a negative way, even if they were important people, let's say important. I mean, not for me, but important for this society that's trying starting to look worse and worse <laughs> from month to month. I don't know. So I switched that and I stopped um, expecting help, you know, uh, from anybody really and uh, I focused only on my team and on my uh, self-development let's say and the family love that was also important the support from parents especially and the mental coach that made a huge difference well that's that's great to hear and um, just just to follow up like I mean you're still just 23 years old so obviously in the early stages of your career at at this point um, with these changes and sort of having that that team around you that you want what type of maybe short-term goals would you be setting uh, right now for yourself? And, and maybe if you have any long-term goals you'd want to share as well. Um, literally, I have no long goals, no short goals, no nothing. I started to do this thinking that I'm only in the present. So what I'm working on, it's focusing to be in the present because 
the the things that I've said um, in 2021 at the end of that year, that was great for me. I said that, oh my God, in 2022, I'll be top 200. This is the goal. This is what I'm going for, whatever. And then somehow I put pressure on my own, you know? So the results didn't come at all. And then I started to feel depressed, anxious. And then that um, turned my world upside down for a long term actually so i stopped doing that you know thinking extra and just try to enjoy whatever is in that moment you know like right now i'm enjoying you guys with our conversation (laughs) and that's it (laughs) same here same here Mm -hmm. so uh staying in the present definitely good good advice uh whether you're a tennis player or a podcaster but I do want to talk a little bit about the past and, and thinking back to what you've been through the past 12 months and how that experience at Billie Jean King Cup last year, you know, affected you both in your tennis development, but off the court as well. What what comes to mind now about a year later when you think back to that experience and, and how did it help you or, or challenge you in your journey as a professional tennis player since then? It definitely opened some inside doors in my own self, let's say, some parts that I didn't think I want to access, and I did, uh, because after after that specific time of uh, Billie Jean, uh, I, I, I started to see the real colors of specific people, you know, so... That's why even now my community, that's the social the, on, on social media community is based more on uh, people outside of my country that I'm very grateful for. You know, um, I don't have so many Romanians that kind of get me and it's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, because first rule in life and also for me, I don't know if it's for everybody the same, is trying to accept that not everybody can like you and you don't need to care for it, you know, because my truth is my truth only, so they don't need to like me for what I choose to to be, you know, and become. And yet I would say you probably gained so many new followers and fans from that experience a year ago, obviously, and I think last year on the podcast you discussed the negative side too, Unfortunately, which, you know, many professional athletes do have to face with social media, um, which is a negative side of it, clearly. But the positive side, I mean, that speech you gave last year as a rookie on the court uh, before you even played your first match, so much humor, so much originality. You described it to me as beautiful chaos, I think, when we spoke last year, which I thought was a a pretty good way of summing it up. Um, How much did that speech bring you recognition? And and when you play tournaments on the road, do you get people that come up to you still and and mention that? And and have you had to give any big speeches since that time? It happened a few times, even on ITF levels, the tournament director and the people from the organization came and be like, oh my gosh, I loved your your rookie speech. And I was like, thank you. Glad you enjoyed it. It was natural and stuff. But, you know, I, I gave some speeches, actually, since then uh, in Romania because I played a WT in my hometown. So I was, I don't know, I kind of had to be there, you know, in that press conference because I was representing the town. So I had also a funny speech with the mayor that came also naturally. But, um, yeah, I mean, just small speeches, I guess. No one actually... Um, 
put me to to talk out in public ever since then um but i mean in the future probably it will happen again so i'm looking forward for that but first i need to win tournaments for that to happen <laughs> well you you seem to be on the right track with uh, winning that that itf title not long ago um just sort of to follow up on on you speaking uh, and having that experience with the the speech, and if we talk about social media, when when I follow you on social media, it feels like you're one of the more outspoken personalities on the tour. Um, that you do have a big personality, you like to wear your heart on your sleeve. Have you always been sort of comfortable sharing openly your your views on topics, or or has that been something you've kind of grown into over the past couple of years? I've always been like this. It it's my personality that um, stayed the same since I was a kid because I grew up in a family where everybody was allowed to have an opinion and to argue if it's needed and to talk about it, you know? And that's why my parents are also my best friends. We talk about everything, you know? My mother knows literally everything and my father knows exactly the same thing. So I don't know. Um, it's something that it's literally in me and I, ch I it's my choice to do like this on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter or whatever, because I think that it's important to show people that are uh, fans of this sport because I don't consider them my fans. I don't like this word, you know, they're my people, like literally my people. <laughs> and uh, I, I just like to show them the real me, you know? I don't like to hide or to have a private, private life to post one time per month or one time per year or whatever. You know, I'm I'm open to it. I'm open to kids. I'm open to meetings. At every tournament I go, I sit, I talk, I take pictures. It's, it's, it's no difference for me, literally. And just just to follow up, I, I guess, on, on social media as a whole, uh, I mean, we've highlighted... Um, the positives and we've talked about the negatives of course and you know I think for a lot of athletes especially in tennis we see um, you know and and players rank sort of in the range where you are they can experience abuse sometimes whether it's from gamblers who've lost money because they lost a match that type of thing do you view it as as something positive for you personally and and for the sport to have a social media presence or do you think it's more damaging I think it's what you choose to be. There are two options. Either you let this thing put you in a position when you feel like a victim or you can use it for the good because us people, the ones that invented this whole social media thing, they are smart people, right? But also in the same time, they made others people hell because of this, you know, with the bullying and stuff. But the path is you know, to choose how to use it. And I try to use it in a good way, you know, to express art, nature, good music and stuff like this and uh, real, real situations. You know, I'm trying to expose everything as best as I can and to have opinions and to share opinions with others. But for hate and for other stuff and betting and stuff, of course, I receive many, uh, like many and death threats and whatever. But in the same time, I'm trying to ignore those and focus on the positive side of the social media. Can't imagine what that must be like. And uh, that's something that, that all tennis players are experiencing, whether you're ranked at the top of the sport or, or working your way to get there. Uh, tennis is certainly not an easy sport for those who are ranked outside of the top 100. As, as you know well, the 
financial challenges and just the constant grind looking for ranking points going tournament to tournament. What what are the biggest challenges that you have to face during the tennis season uh, to get your ranking up, um, you know, on the WTA? Um, right now, at this moment, there are no sponsors behind me. Um, everyone kind of left. Um, I had some, but not with money, with rackets, but that went away as well. Um, because the last year wasn't phenomenal, obviously. Um, but I mean, my, my parents are doing the best they can you know, for clothes. My father is like, I don't know. I literally, I can die without my father. My father does everything with the flights. Uh, I, I I never signed in for a tournament by myself. <laughs> he I, takes care of that for you? Literally, literally. I don't know how to do that. I don't know where to pay the bills. I don't know if the if the electricity is different than other stuff, than the gas or whatever. I have no clue about this literally uh so he takes care of everything and um i don't know it's just kind of tough because i feel he also has this big responsibility literally like a manager you know so he does that i do the playing part and uh doing my work of course going to practice fitness whatever so they take care of everything and it's so damn tough so damn tough because people think that i have many followers i also win money from instagram but guess what no uh, i don't think you ever see uh, on my page paid uh, collaboration or that label that it says right there that you get money so i never did that what I post, I post and the followers came and I don't want a blue badge or whatever is that. I don't want to pay for it. I don't need it. So basically, what can I tell you? I'm alone in this with uh, just my parents and my team, the coach, the fitness coach, the mental coach. And that's it. Literally, it. all the posts come from them. And thank God. Uh, they are able to to do something for me, you know. OK, I don't have money to play in America. Right or to go to Africa or Asia or whatever. I don't I don't have money for that. I just play like most of the time in Europe. But I mean, that's about it. I don't know what else to say about this subject because I have no clue because I never had something solid behind me, you know? Well, it sounds great that you've got at the very least that strong family support and your parents who it seems are, are very important people and, and super helpful as you go tournament to tournament. I mean, some of the things you were describing there when I was 23, I didn't have much of a clue how some of those things worked either. So that's part of growing up too, I guess. Uh, yeah. in, terms, in terms of sponsors, I mean, I think last year you mentioned to me you've got, what, 30, 32 tattoos, or at least you did at the time. Maybe a tattoo company could come in and and uh, and sponsor you. I feel like you'd be the right kind of athlete for that. But uh, what what are some suggestions you might have, some, some changes to the sport of tennis uh, overall even that might help players like you that are trying to to make it as a full-time gig? Look, the people that are organizing, even at the ITF level, because I, I will talk about that because I know that better. Uh, for example, I played now in Santa Margarita, right? So technically the official hotel was 180 euro per person if you share the room. And I was like, damn, this is interesting. Okay, it's five stars, but still, what the fuck, you know? So I literally chose to stay to a guest house it was like 55 per night or whatever. The conditions were like amazing, but you have a bed, you have a bathroom, so it's okay. 
And also I went with the coach there. So I also need to take care of him, of course, 100% and fully. That's that's about that. And I don't know. They they need to, like, if they do a tournament in these areas that are populated and, you know, like fancy, let's call it fancy, right? Because Santa Margarita is a fancy place, right? Uh, for tourism, for everything that leads to make, like, a a bit more normal price or at least uh, change a different hotel or I don't know, but that that's a first. And then I don't, I, I don't know. There has to be like a foundation of some sort of something, you know, to help some players out. I mean, not all of us, but at least to, to make a start to something, you know, because I, I, I've seen many players that had a lot of potential and talent that went away because they simply couldn't play anymore. And a good example that happened was with Schneider. I think that's the way to pronounce her name. She was playing ITF level with me and I, I was speaking to her, you know, and she was also in big trouble. And then she managed to make the break the breakthrough like she did. And now she's like, what, top 100 maybe? or 100 something. So that changed for her, of course, but she was in a very bad place at, at a specific point. And she was such a good talent. And we we see it now, you know. But it's funny how these sponsors work. Uh, I mean, they want to take you when you're up, right? Because usually I even got to a point uh, when I tried to find some clothing sponsors, right? So I started to text. I said I never do that, but I did. So I text and I was like, I'm that, that, that. This is my goal. This is whatever. Would you be interested? And the reply usually like, well, if you are like top 100, if you are top 50, if you are top 150, if you are, if you are, if you are. And I'm like, okay, with this ifs, right? When I'll be there, I'll make my own fucking clothing, you know? And then I won't need you anymore. So thank you. Because who <laughs> cares about the top but they forget that you need a bit of help to get there you know yeah well said lost the talent is lost the potential is lost the life goes to shit and then you ask yourself what did they do wrong Mm -hmm. no that i mean that's really well said and I, i always feel especially for really a lot of players even you know outside the top 100 these itf tournaments they need more exposure as well for for tennis fans to to be able to see players like you more often and uh, be aware that there's these exciting tournaments that are still very high level it doesn't need to be you know a wta 1000 to see high-end great tennis um, which I i think would help grow the sport as well uh i wanted to ask you um as someone who is kind of working your way up through your career, uh, maybe a couple players that you admire, uh, one women's player that maybe inspires you, and maybe uh, a player on the men's side who, who you like to follow as well. Novak Djokovic. Mm-hmm. This is my forever inspiration. And um, this guy did some unbelievable things. And about what we were talking about earlier, he's one of the very few that actually helps the tennis player from Serbia. He actually sponsors them. It's amazing what he does. Also, I read I read recently with Ribakina that did the same for Kazakhstan players, right? I played in uh, Santa Margarita with um, Kulambaeva. She's playing also from Kazakhstan. She says the same about her. She's an amazing person, right? And Kazakhstan actually cares about their players. 
And actually, if you look about it from the outside, it's a small country, right? But they still care and they, they try to make some things better. I mean, they're not perfect, but at least better. You know, they have something to, to start. They, they have a strong opinion and they try to change things. So for me, Djokovic is a role model. I don't know. He's, um, I don't even have words to describe him. I mean, he saved my career many times through through my ages, you know? I mean, when I was a junior, I used to search his videos on YouTube and I was just watching and watching and I was falling asleep with his voice on the, you know, in the room and I was waking up to that and I was watching the shots and then again and again and again. So he's definitely amazing. Yeah, it's it's great to have that that one player who who can really in, inspire you in your career. And uh, I've always heard about Novak Djokovic that he's very very welcoming and and great with his time with lower ranked players and in, in supporting him. Uh, so it's great to highlight that. I'd like to ask for for you personally, what's what's next on your schedule uh, in terms of where you hope to play and any chance? I know you you said you're not traveling to North America now, but any chance we could see you in Canada uh, down the line in the future, maybe one time. I, I definitely hope so. I hope so. It's definitely on my list to go there, as I said also last time. So I'm doing my best to <laughs> to get there. And uh, right now, the next tournament, uh, it's in Germany. It's a 100K. Do not ask me that city because I have no clue how to pronounce <laughs> that. I know it's near Frankfurt, okay? <laughs> okay. So I'm playing qualities there, and uh, also I think I'll, I I will play doubles because why not? I also like doubles, but I hope my leg will be all okay until then because I kind of pulled my muscle a bit in the last final. But I'm getting better day by day, so I'm trying to to be ready until Friday. Well, look, we we wish you all the best in that and in your quest to stay in the present moment and enjoy that and make the most of it. And thank you again for joining us, Andrea. We, we hope to make this an annual tradition on the podcast. So hopefully you don't mind touching base with us yearly and, and bringing your listeners and fans up to date here in Canada on how you're doing. And obviously we'd love to see you here live one day in person. And I'm sure that uh, that, that will happen. For sure. Thank you for the invitation as always. And you guys, I, I keep in touch with you always. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate sure. it. It's my pleasure really there you have it romanian andrea prisicariu and i have to say just right off the hop i love her authenticity as an athlete and i, I think sometimes maybe for sponsors and, and that type of thing it can be off-putting if you do have a very opinionated outspoken athlete if there's a fear that they'll say something that doesn't align with your company but she does have like this great aura and presence that yeah, get her a tattoo company. Get someone to to support her because she's playing good tennis. She's still in the early stages of her career, you know, early 20s. And um, I, I think she has a, a long way to go, but she's she's going up in the right direction. She just comes across as so genuine. And, you know, not to say that most of the tennis players we speak to aren't genuine, but she's like next level genuine mm -hmm. and, and real. And as you said, not afraid to speak her mind. And I mean, I don't see her saying too many things that, like, to me, it doesn't come across as, as controversial. No. Um, but she's just, uh, you know, not spur of the moment, but, like, what, what's in there is is coming out, and she's not afraid to say it and, and sort of stand by it. And, um, you know, the sponsor thing, I think maybe more so, and I think she alluded to this, was 
um, not winning enough, you know, and that's not a criticism of her, but it's, it's just a fact that she was, you know, around 300th in the world a year ago when we spoke to her. And right now in singles is hovering around, you know, 400th, 408, I believe. And I think she is moving up, I will say, because of uh, the recent results. She's recent jumping results, up to about right. 340. Well, there you uh, go. But, okay. Yeah. But, but so... again, right, like if you're going to sponsor someone, you generally sponsors are looking for people who are in the upper echelon of the sport, in the top 50 or, or in the top 100, but either have that top 50 potential or have been there before. And again, she's young, so there's time, but it is difficult. And, uh, you know, the ITF level is just so competitive we've seen some of these players here in toronto at the tevlin challenger in the fall and all really great tennis players but mm -hmm. just not enough consistency or not enough you know funding or or ability to to train at the level and and tour at at the level that would boost your ranking points like prisa cario can't come to north america as she says right now she can't afford to come here so that yeah. limits a whole section you know calendar season events that maybe she'd be able to thrive in as well right and and you look at you know a number of athletes and this definitely happens athletes who have great potential and they're trying to make it on the ITF circuit they maybe don't have the financial support from their parents uh and and have to stop have to give up and they aren't able to realize their full potential how far would they have gone you know gone had they had that support system um you know she alluded to the fact that she does have awesome support from her parents um which are you know, helping to keep her and her career afloat. Um, but it, it can be very difficult for so many athletes, especially, yeah, once you step outside of that, even top 150, top 200 range, it is exceedingly difficult. We know tennis is an expensive sport. They're working on it. Uh, prize money, I think, needs to go up across the board on on all these tournaments. And just uh, interesting to note, like Bianca Jolie Fernandez, actually, who's playing the ITF circuit, she was playing the same uh, tournaments in Italy as Andrea Priscaria and actually just lost in the finals of a doubles event there. And of course, uh, you know, she's years younger, I believe 17 trying to make it, but it is a grind. It's very, very difficult. And there's a lot of pressure. And I, I kind of wish we'd asked, although I think we know the answer about, you know, funding she may be receiving from the Romanian tennis federation, but she kind of pointedly said that the only financial help she has is from her parents. So to me, that means mm -hmm. she's likely not getting any from the federation and, and it's difficult, especially post-pandemic. I mean, Tennis Canada had to cut back on a bunch of funding that they were delivering for some of their players who certainly, yeah. you know, could use it. I'm sure it's the same across the board. Uh, you know, the fact that she stepped up for Billie Jean King Cup a year ago, you'd like to think that the Romanian Federation might sort of, you know, throw a bone and, and offer a little bit of assistance to players that are willing to step up for their Tennis Federation. But who knows how deep the pockets are there? I'm not familiar with with how much, you know, the Romanian Tennis Federation has at their disposal. Um, but hey, just a, a great competitor, uh, a fantastic attitude. And I really loved her sort of, you know, new mantra, which is stay in the present and just kind of focus on what's right there in front of you. Yeah, that's a beautiful mantra. And uh, kudos to her for giving such kind words to Novak Djokovic. I do think and we've said this before, uh, Novak Djokovic, for all you want to believe in, in terms of the vaccination issues, we, we've gone over that in the past. Uh, I do think he's a well-meaning athlete who has done a lot over the years and you know i've read this before and a number of players have said this he's always working to help out lower ranked players and of course he's heavily involved in the ptpa the players association alongside vashik pospisil and that is one of their huge mission statements is is getting funding across the board for some of those lower ranked players so you know he really really cares about the growth of the sport and its future
Yeah, he walks the walk when it comes to that and uh, and is a real leader in that sense. And he's not flashy about it. I don't see him, you know, really publicizing a lot of these moments either. Um, But either for, you know, young Serbian players coming up or or even players who aren't Serbian, but are, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, struggling to to sort of make it. I I feel like he's the kind of guy that will lend an ear that'll help out if he can. And I think there's probably a lot of, you know, donations and financial contributions, you know, from him. Um, that he doesn't have to do, but I feel like he does that we don't even, you know, doesn't even get reported. Um, the media seems so often just ready to pounce on him for things, sometimes deservedly so, but that doesn't mean you ignore all the positive things that he brings to the table either. And and I think he is a real leader in the sport for sure in that way. Yeah, exactly. And it was interesting to hear uh, the same uh, about Elena Rybakina, uh, a personality we want to know more and more about because she's a Wimbledon champion and one of the best players in the world. And uh, if we just sort of segue to the action from the women's side in WTA this past week, Stuttgart Open, actually the first clay event of the year for Iga Swiatek, and boy, she didn't really skip uh, miss a beat whatsoever. Uh, I mean, she had that injury that kept her out for a brief period of time, but she gets back in the final, defeats Arena Sabalenka in straight sets. And I mean, my takeaway from this was it was a, a quick reminder that Iga not only is the world number one, she's still the best player in the world. And as I said on Twitter, actually, which got uh, pretty good feedback, the gap widens when we get to the clay this is her very best surface without a doubt well that's it and and this is what's gonna solidify her at at number one i i feel like for you know potentially a long time is the fact that there's no dip if anything there's actually a next level when she gets to the clay and how many players can say that now you know kudos to sabalenka for having a deep run as well and Mm -hmm. and making the finals but you know when you've got those two in in a clay court final I don't know what percentage of people are going to back Sabalenka because to me it's it's Fiontek all day long. And, uh, you know, we've seen it from her before. She's carrying it on again. Um, yeah, what a great champion. What a deserving number one. And it's going to be pretty tough, I think, for anyone to take her down at Roland Garros uh, a month from now. Yeah, definitely. And look, there are a lot of points for her defend because we, uh, for her to defend because we know the incredible stretch she had last year, winning 38 matches in a row, and it was uh, over the clay period as well. But she didn't play Madrid last year, which is interesting. So you know she has a chance to add some points in Madrid as as that gets going later this week, and surely she's going to be the favorite there. I really wish we had Simona Halep on, on the tour, by the way, right now. Like she, she for me, is a, an incredible clay court player. Maybe you wouldn't call her a clay court specialist because she's dangerous anywhere. But that's another player I'd look to and say maybe, you know, she would be a top contender uh, at Roland Garros as well anytime in a year. I think so still. I mean, she's uh, getting up there in years, but not to the point where, uh, you know, it's time to hang up the racket. What is she? Early 30s, I want to guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30, 31. Um, any words on, on her? I mean, I haven't heard anything lately, so I'm not sure what the deal is in terms of how long she's off for or not able to compete. But, uh, you know, always enjoyed speaking with Simona Halep in press. Uh, when she played here in Toronto, it felt like a home tournament for her, just with the amount of Romanian support there is in the crowd. And as you mentioned, um, yeah, the only reason she might not be called a clay court specialist is just to her incredible talent across all surfaces. And and, and that obviously includes grass as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, should mention, tough moment for Anzibur, by the way, in the semifinals in her match against Iga Shviantek. They had played only three games. Iga was up three love when Shibur suffered an injury. Unclear how serious it is, but... 
I suspect she will be out of Madrid and I hope she can be healthy uh, in time for Roland Garros because we love watching her play. If we move over uh, just to the men's side, Barcelona Open ATP 500 event. I thought we had a an overall great tournament, which I, I guess I wondered, would we get one because Rafael Nadal's not there and he's almost synonymous with that event, having won it 12 times. But Carlos Alcaraz uh, continues his incredible tear. He beat Stefano Tsitsipas in the final 6-3, 6-4. He's now 23-2 and on the season, three titles, nine titles as a teenager, which uh, most all-time is Bjorn Borg with 17. I don't think he's going to catch that, but... There's there's a good chance he could add, you know, four or five more this year, I would think. Big time, big time star power with this one. And again, to go from winning Indian Wells, a tough semifinal against Sinner, uh, a loss in uh, in Miami, and then going right to the clay and, and having this kind of run where he doesn't drop a set en route to the title and jumping into the pool, which was obviously very reminiscent of what Rafa Nadal would always do. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy is, I feel like tennis is in good hands. You know, we just talked about some of the female players that make me feel similarly. And Alcaraz being, you know, as young as he is, uh, he just seems like he's going to continue to build on what we've already seen. I, French Open favorite to me uh, with Nadal, question mark Djokovic question mark and even if they were back just with Alcaraz being healthy and having the great run that he's had lately I, I feel like it's tough to argue uh, against him being the favorite and I feel like you feel the same way <laughs> absolutely uh, for me right now uh, as it stands April 23rd as we have this conversation I think you have to call Carlos Alcaraz the favorite at Roland Garros and I just want to point out as well like beyond Rafa and Novak, and of course, we haven't seen Rafa play since Australia. The other sort of crop of players who would presumably be pushing for titles and and pushing for chances. I mean, Stefano Tsitsipas is now 0-4 in their head-to-head matchup. And in this match, I mean, Alcaraz, 26 winners to seven errors. And Tsitsipas just looked helpless and out of answers. And part of that was Alcaraz overwhelming him with that huge forehand, pushing him back. And then having the ability to utilize the drop shot when Stefano Tsitsipas is too far back in the court. And his variety and having so many weapons at his age, 19, is staggering. Holger Runa, I think, is another player who is probably in the mix right now. And and he just repeated in Munich for a title there, beating Bodek van de Zanskalp. So he's there. Nicely Um, pronounced. That, That was good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Last year's French Open finalist, Casper Ruud, has been out of form. Danil Medvedev, amazing season, but we haven't seen the same results on clay. And we saw what happened when they played in that Indian Wells final. It was incredibly one-sided. So apart from Novak and Rafa, who we haven't seen Carlos play since Madrid last year, he's beating all the other rivals and pretty comfortably, apart from, I guess, a loss to Yannick Sinner. And man, how badly do you want to see Djokovic and Nadal have their crack at Alcaraz? I oh, want to I see, know. <laughs> and I don't just want to see one. Like I want to see several of these matches this year. Um, I want to see a healthy Djokovic go head to head with them. It's, you know, it's kind of like when Federer and Sampras played back in, I want to say it was 2001. Mm-hmm. And they only ever got that one match in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon where Federer upset Pistol Pete, you know, who had just been reigning supreme at Wimbledon for years and years and years. And and I don't want to see it just be, oh, yeah, you know, Alcaraz played Djokovic and Nadal once each, and that was it. Like, I want them to be healthy uh, for so many reasons, you know, their own health and, and ability to take the court again, of course, yeah. first and foremost. But I want to see this young guy go up against them and see some epic matches, and, and preferably at a slam. And 
Roland Garros is, uh, you know, basically, you know, literally a month away now. Is that going to be enough time for Nadal to come back and 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 with any matches under his belt? And Djokovic, when you hear Djokovic and elbow, my goodness, you think back to 2017. We saw him struggling with that here in Toronto. Gosh, you don't want to see that be, you know, cropping up on him again either, because that's not a good sign given what he's been through before. Yeah, definite concerns for both. Uh, I mean, the higher concerns, certainly for Rafael Nadal. Uh, it was supposed to be initially maybe an eight-week recovery to that hip injury he suffered in Australia when he lost to Mackenzie McDonald. We're now through 14 weeks, and he provided a video update, uh, which he said in Spanish, but that he's changing the course of his treatment for that hip injury, which to me is is not a good sign because uh, there was a limitation to the previous treatment he did. He was practicing on court, but I remember reading, you know, posts from inside sources suggesting it looked like he was still moving cautiously on the court. And in this update, he says he doesn't know when he'll be back. We know he pulled out of Madrid. And yeah, the timeline is is tight here. One month to get healthy for Roland Garros. And surely he'd want to play something before going into a slam like Rome, where he's played incredibly well in the past. So can he get back in time, play Rome and play the French Open, I don't think it's looking good, to be honest. And he's not the type of player that can go out there and play cautiously. I mean, that guy's got to no. go 110% and be able to do his usual thing. And um, and the other thing is to come back at a slam, which is best of five, that's not ideal either. You know, if you're going to, if you want to, he wouldn't enter unless he thought he could take the title. And to do that, mm-hmm. you got to think you're going to go seven rounds and be able to play best of five throughout. So um, yeah, pretty concerning. And, and if he's not back for Roland Garros, you know, does he come back in the grass court season? That doesn't seem like the best sort of time to to plot back on tour either. Um, gosh, what more can you say? But fingers crossed that uh, that he can get back out there. Yeah, and if we move over to Novak Djokovic, he, he did have a sleeve on his elbow as he was playing the uh, Banja Luka Open. It You know, a lot of Serbian support. He won his first round match against an 18-year-old named Luka Van Ash. This is a name to watch for, by the way. He's the youngest player inside the top 100. Just recently cracked the top 100. So very talented French player. He wins that in three sets. So an 18-year-old was really pushing Djokovic early. And then fellow Serbian Dusan Lajevic defeating him 6-4, 7-6 in a match where I would describe Djokovic as looking very passive. Like he didn't really trust his shots he was not dictating whatsoever. He was on his back heels. One of 16 on breakpoint chances in this match, which is a startling statistic. And I know in the past, Djokovic has been, you know, a slow starter on clay before finding his form. But I think the reason to sound the alarm bell is him pulling out of Madrid. And, you know, that's two consecutive tournaments where he's had poor losses to players uh, ranked, you know, much, much lower than him. Yeah, having a weak start to the clay court season, but not dealing with an injury is is far less concerning. He's done it before, and then he picks it in high gear when he needs it. But if you're dealing with any injury concerns, the fact, like you said, he's not playing Madrid, very concerning. And uh, and again, if it was any other part of the body, but but the elbow that, you know. So who knows? Uh, we're going to have to monitor this one closely. And uh, look, you know, if Djokovic and Nadal aren't at Roland Garros, I feel comfortable that it's still going to be a, a kick-ass tournament with, you know, mm-hmm. all these young guys that are coming along and Alcaraz and, and Sinner and Runa. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what that's like. I mean, I, I was talking to my 80 year old dad earlier today and he's like, wow, you see this guy Alcaraz, he's really something. Hey, he's making me feel like I did 20 years ago when Rafa came out on the scene. So 
you know, it's it's neat that I think tennis fans, even older tennis fans, are are recognizing the immense talent we have there. And and I think we said this last week, it's it's giving a confident feeling that men's tennis is in, you know, good hands, I think, moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And it would certainly make for probably the most wide open Roland Garros in a long time on the men's side. I do think Djokovic will play there. Uh, bigger question marks surrounding Nadal and then the bigger question mark for Novak. Will he find his form and will he be playing healthy? If we just peek ahead to the Madrid Open, which does start later this week, and if you have a chance, uh, fill out the bracket challenge on Tennis Canada for both the men's and women's side. Uh, on the men's side, we will have both Canadians in action. Felix Ojeda-Aliassime, Denis Shapovalov, both in the field. Felix had uh, some time off, and now he's back for his first event of the clay swing. He actually reached the quarterfinals of Madrid last year. Remember, he played a very competitive match actually against Djokovic in that quarterfinal. Uh, I think, you know, the high altitude here, the ball moves a little faster. I think it suits Felix's game pretty well with his big serve and his style. So I'm excited to see what Felix can bring to the clay this this week. He actually could face Dusan Lajevic in his first match. He does get a bye. Denis Shapovalov also there could face a qualifier or Zhang Zhizhen, so a good chance to to win an opening match. We'll we'll see what Denis is capable of. But my eyes are on Felix at least because we haven't seen him on the clay yet. Yeah, and we know he can do it. We know he's very comfortable on the surface. And you know, a fair point. There aren't that many Canadians that we can say that about. And he on the men's side is definitely our our best hope for let's say making the second week at Roland Garros in a month's time. Uh, also, the Tennis Canada bracket challenge that you mentioned. I think I got to go a little bit more risky this time. I think I got to, okay. you know, kind of, yeah, you can't just go with CC Pass, Rude, Sinner. You, you got to break out of that. You know, I mean, Alcaraz for sure. You'd be pretty crazy yeah. not to take Alcaraz to, you know, probably be the last one standing. But apart from that, and I'm hovering around 50th in that bracket challenge right now on both, oh, that's the, not men's, bad. On both the men's and women's side. Um, but I'm up and down, you know, I'll have a really good one. And then I, it's not, you know, nearly as good the, the week after. So I kind of feel like many professional tennis players, you know, it's hard <laughs> to find that consistent level. So yeah. too in the bracket challenge, but check that out. I think the deadline is something like 4am Eastern time, Tuesday morning, uh, for those who are listening. So, uh, even if you haven't played yet this year, you can always hop in, uh, mid season and, and see what you can do there. Yeah, exactly. And just, if we touch on the w- WTA side, uh, great news. I think that Bianca Andreescu is already back after those two torn ligaments in the ankle. Um, she's in the field in Madrid and she's uh, scheduled to face uh, either Gracheva or Wang Zhu in her first match. She could face Barbara Krejcikova if she gets an opening round win. But uh, if you saw that injury live and the state of concern and the, you know, the, the screams from Bianca, I really feared the worst that we were in for a long-term injury that she could have been out months. The fact that she's already back in Madrid and will have time to play a few clay events before Roland Garros, I think is the best news possible. I mean, that match was March 27th. She hasn't even been gone a month, which is crazy because yeah. when I when I saw that, I'm like, oh no, this is going to be all kinds of, of bad news. I think she's going to be on the on the shelf for a while. So, I mean, I'm, I'm no medical expert, but torn ligaments to come back in less than a month, that seems... Uh, like as, as quick a recovery, I think, as you could, you know, ever hope for. Um, so, you know, knock on wood, fingers crossed, uh, you know, say whatever prayers you need to say that she can come back and, and be healthy. And, uh, you know, the clay may be a little bit more of a, a forgiving surface in terms of being able to slide through things. Whereas on a hard court, definitely, uh, you know, more challenging those stops and starts. But uh, we wish her the best and, and great to see her back, of course. 
Yeah, definitely. Leila Annie Fernandez also in action. So is Rebecca Marino. So we have a few Canadians to watch in Madrid. We will talk about that next week and we will talk to you guys next time you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We'll see you later.